When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to PerpetualChessPod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Adult Improver edition of Perpetual Chess. Uh, our guest this week is quite an accomplished improver. Um, he is a 31-year-old tech consultant uh, with a family. He's been waking up early to spend hours on his chess, and in fact, he's joining me from his new home uh, in Texas, where he moved partially uh, in part to work on his chess. Uh, he's rated about USCF 2100. Uh, he had a great result sharing first in the under 2300 section in the 2022 Chicago Open. Uh, but beyond that, been again, working very hard on his chest despite having a, a family and a demanding job. Um, and he's also, as if that weren't enough, just come out with his first chess book, which is called uh, The Chess Bible, Most Instructive Tips, Axioms, One-Liners, and Mantras. It's uh, brand new from Thinkers Publishing. So we'll be discussing it as well. But first, let's welcome our guest to the show. Welcome, Vishnu Warrior. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's great to be here. I really appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. Always exciting to talk chess. And obviously, in doing a bit of research and corresponding with you a bit online, um, I see that you've got the bug hardcore. It also comes across... Uh, in your book. So, so Vishnu, what drives you to work so hard on chess when you have so much else going on in your life? Uh, I've always had an interest in the game, but I think what sparked the re-interest of the game um, lately is just the fact that I know I'm getting older and I feel to be a grandmaster these days and to be someone who's looked at uh, and like admired you have to do it very, very young. And that's something that I'm taking the view that this is not a sprint, but a marathon. And I still don't know how far I can go. And I just want to see how far I can go. And my goal is still to become a GM. So at least I think I can make I am um, while working a full-time job. I think that's possible the next nine years by the time my goal is to make it by the time I'm 40 to make I am at least and uh, do it while I have a full-time job and then dedicate possibly the next 10 years beyond that to become GM. Um, so right now the goal is to uh, make as much money as possible and support my family and become <laughs> I am and then uh, have enough money that I could go pursue the, the dream of getting to the next level. But yeah, yeah, well, it's I mean, fun. <laughs> that's that's the thing for me. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny to hear you mention the money because that sort of gets at the sort of internal conflict where 
Um, if, you know, if someone has the money, maybe they have a fighting chance. Obviously, we're talking about very rare achievements as as we can get into. Um, but if they don't have the money, it's hard to even pursue. So it's like this push and pull where you, you already have a lofty goal, but but then you're like, I need more money to do this even loftier goal. Um, so right. what's your theory, Vishnu? Obviously, uh, again, I you know, there isn't as much data on this stuff as I would like, but if there is anyone who's gone from, you know, your 2100 USCF certainly had stronger results at times. But if there is anyone who's gone from 2100 USCF to Grandmaster, um, like, you know, you're 31 at the age of 31, uh, I'm not aware of them. So what are your predominant theories? Yeah, exactly. So what are your predominant theories for why it's never been done? Um. I mean, I think it, <laughs> a couple of things. Well, obviously life, you just have so many other things in life that you have to get done, right? I mean, yeah. people who are 31 and older or even slightly younger, right? That's when you're starting to have families, even in your mid to late 20s, starting to think about settling down, have a family, all, all those things. And, um, and at that point, you probably already invested into a career somewhat. So those things tend to take the forefront and um, I mean, it's not to say that those aren't important to me. They very much are. My family is very important to me and uh, my work is important to me, but I think as you get older, at least what I've noticed with, uh, at least as just an observer, I think a lot of people um, just kind of get into family and their thing and then just, honestly just get a little lazy like start watching tv and start getting into habits that aren't helping them improve themselves um and just start developing lazier habits so i mean honestly my answer i think i I would if i had to say one thing i think it just comes down to laziness like i think that's why people don't do it because it's hard people know it's hard and they'd rather do something that's not as hard yeah, I mean, I'm not, I fall in that category. Although I have to say, I'm not, I wouldn't even necessarily describe it as lazy. Like some people might just describe it as like balanced. You know, you're already spending a yeah. lot. Of, so someone could already be spending a lot of time on their work, a lot of time with their family. So to to unwind a little bit, you know, um, and and watch a couple TV shows with with your significant other or without. Like to me, that's reasonable. Although I do I do admire people like yourself who are setting that aside and correct me if i'm wrong vishnu but basically you're going to bed at nine and waking up at four although you had something else to add so go go ahead and yeah the, the, well yes i do go go to bed at nine and wake up at four I, i'd say that okay it's not that i don't do those things with my wife but i do we do discuss and kind of plan things out i don't think it's um spur of the moment plans are very very rare at this point um simply because i just don't think either of us given our busy schedules, she with our child and me with work and everything else going on. Uh, it's just, we have to plan things out. Um, so I think that's, that's important. So I'm not saying I don't have a, we, we don't find times to watch movies uh, or one of our favorite shows is the blacklist, but uh, okay, we do just have to plan it out. Gotcha. And what's her overall take on this? Is she rolling her eyes at all? She's fully supportive. How does she feel about you spending all these hours on chess? Always been very supportive. Um, Always wants me to improve and yeah, uh, tries to join me at every tournament that she can, even though she's not a chess player herself. Um, So that's, uh, that's something I do admire very much. And then would your would your baby, your nineteen month old, would it come as well, or would she be able to leave? Um, leave the yeah, yeah, yeah. He always comes. Yeah, yeah. He always comes to the, uh, whenever she That's comes. Fine. He comes <laughs> to the tournaments. Yeah. Okay. Nice. But now let's get the into your, your right. Of course, <laughs> um, we have enough loud children in the in them already. So, <laughs> um, so let's get into your study routine, Vishnu. So again, as you said, going to bed early, going to bed early, waking up early, spending hours on chess before your workday starts. Um, how do you spend those hours? Yeah. So, um, it has changed. Honestly, it got a little bit lazier after Chicago open. Um, 
And so that I, I feel a little bit guilty about that. But when I was studying as much as I should be doing, and I'll talk about my pre-Chicago routine. I'll talk about my current routine now. Okay. Pre-Chicago, I was doing three hours a day. Uh, so I'd wake up at four. I'd actually wake up around like 3.55. So that way I could start studying by four. Um, basically, I'd wake up, go. First thing I do is get up, go to the coffee pot, turn on the water, and then go to the bathroom. So by the time I finished the bathroom and brushed my teeth and came back, the hot water was ready. And the night before, I would set the coffee into the French press. So the morning, like all I'd have to do is just pour the hot water over the coffee and I'd have the, I'd have the cup right next to it, ready to go. I would come back to my desk. And then the first thing I would do is I would just go to chess.com, go to puzzle rush, and then just do three sessions of puzzle rush on the three minute. Um, and that just was as a wake up for my brain, uh, just to get my blood moving, my brain moving, and just to get it uh, to start thinking. Because with Puzzle Rush, the puzzles aren't particularly hard. And my goal was always just, okay, like, obviously, all, the goal is to beat the previous high score. But and sometimes your brain is just foggy when you just wake up. So the goal was, okay, at least let me just get 30. Like, with my rating, 30 is kind of reasonable. It's not extremely difficult, but it's not extremely easy either. And I think a reasonable goal for me, okay, like I just woke up, still a bit tired, caffeine's kicking in, um, just to get to the point where, okay, like I've done three of these and my brain is somewhat warmed up. It's funny you should mention Puzzle Rush. I did know that it was part of your routine as we had discussed it previously, um, but we might as well now do the the beloved sponsored segment, The Chest Stop Bomb. So... Uh, what made you decide, Vishnu, that that Puzzle Rush, a daily routine of Puzzle Rush, particularly when you're not even caffeinated yet, as coming from another uh, coffee and French press aficionado, um, what made you decide that you would do that while you that you would do that as part of your study routine while still uh, clearing the cobwebs in the morning? Um, I think it was because it was simple. It wasn't necessarily easy, but it was simple. Um, there was right. something I read by. Noel Studer, who writes the blog, I believe, Next Level Chess. And he writes, simple is not easy. Yeah. um, Like in the example he gives there, he says, if I tell you to do 100 push-ups, it's not that hard to do in theory, but to execute and practice is much more difficult. Um, That was the thought I had with this. It was very simple. may not have been easy to get to 30, um, but that was my goal. It was just make 30 okay and just warm up the brain that's it that, that's how Good. I treat so it's not it. like yeah so you're not like pushing to maximize that but just it, you know it sets the stage settles you into your routine and is measurable right exactly exactly that great yeah and of course uh um you can do unlimited puzzle rush as a chess.com premium member and if anyone uh uses the link in the show description to sign up for that chess.com also obviously has a huge video library um, uh, you can do unlimited tactics if you become a member as well as so many other things. So, uh, thank you, Vishnu, for helping out with the chest stop bomb. So Vishnu, after you're done with puzzle rush, I know you use some other tools as well. I believe that you said, um, in an article that, uh, Avtek Gregorian wrote for chess mood that next up is, uh, tactics on chess tempo. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. I got that suggestion from Julio Sidora, who's one of my friends and, he mentioned that he uses that for his trading. And um, I like that the examples are all from real games and they're very tough. Um, so I usually only try to do six to eight within a 45 minute window. And that's typically my morning routine for studying tactics. Okay. And are you solving for accuracy, I guess, being that you are spending so much time on them? Like, how do you, how do you grade your performance on no, those? Yeah. So if I'm, yeah, no more wrong than one is the goal. So I give okay. myself, I mean, yeah, obviously the goal is perfection, but it's like, okay, sometimes, sometimes you just don't see ideas. And sometimes like my thought is if I don't even see the idea within 10 minutes, it's very unlikely I will find the idea after 10 minutes. Like if you're not even in the same realm of 
possibility of even thinking of that idea or haven't even considered the candidate move. That just means that means that's a puzzle that I very much need to go over. And one thing I do with those just tempo problems is maybe weekly or monthly, um, just I haven't been super consistent of finding what cadence works best for me. But weekly or monthly, there is a feature that if you have the paid membership there that you can go to your tactics and go to your stats and just review the exact problems you got wrong. Um, so I would do that where I would just go and individually download those program, uh, those problems into my chess base and then just review those just because those are probably the patterns where I'm weakest at and understanding which patterns I'm weakest at, I think helps me, um, kind of a self woodpecker method there, but yeah, that's something that helps. So you are, you are finding the beauty in repetition. You do think it's worth, uh, worth doing them again and again. I wouldn't say an insane amount of times, but yes, at least you do need to do it a few times, especially ones where the patterns, like, I don't know, everyone's different. Some people are really good at finding pins or forks really fast and others can, for some reason, find interference moves quickly which I find are more <laughs> difficult to find, but some other people are very good at it. So I think it just depends on intuitively which ones you learned as a kid well and which ones you didn't. And then just figuring that out, being methodical. And is the chess tempo algorithm telling you that you're weak at a relatively weak at a specific tactic, or is that something you're figuring out just from uh, observing your own? Uh, uh, so there are tags. So there are tags actually on the tactics. So you can take a look. Uh, so I do actually look at those tags and see which ones I typically am not very good at. And that helped me out. Okay. Yeah, that that's interesting. So we do the puzzle rush. We do um, 45 minutes of hardcore tactics. Uh, what next, Vishnu? Um, and it's still five in the I morning. Was, <laughs> it's still absurd. Uh, yeah, so this, at this point, at this point, it's probably five. So at five, I would probably head to um, head to like get up and stretch for like five or ten minutes, um, just to take a quick break, and then I would go and just watch chess mood videos for an hour. So okay. typically at least studying for Chicago open, I was watching pretty much every opening video. Um, so I think I've watched almost every video on chess mood at least once. Um, yeah, almost all 300 hours. I've probably wow. watched at least. Yeah. So I've probably watched everything at least once. There's maybe a few I skipped over. Like I skipped over a few very specific openings courses because just the, amount of times I would see that my rating level is really low, but it's on my backlog in my Trello of things I will eventually get to. Gotcha. And are you like a, do you have a narrow repertoire, a wide repertoire? Like, are you playing all of the stuff that you see or some of it is just to sort of generally further your, your chess knowledge? No, I play, I'm (laughs) unfortunately going to give away my prep, but like I'm kind of easy to prepare against in that sense that, kind of play the same exact thing. It's just, I take that MVL approach of, I play the same thing, but I try to play it really, really, really well. Um, yeah. And really study the one thing that I know well. And then, yes, I will branch off later. And I mean, I do have a few surprise side weapons and a few things I used to play in my junior days that I will occasionally go back into if, I know someone I'm playing in particular, but for the most part, I don't even really consider that anymore. I just play what I know because I think Jessman has done a fantastic job with their repertoire. I mean, almost all the lines go up to like move 20 or move 25. And I think if you take the time to really digest the courses and go through all the information, um, you will at least have IM level preparation in your openings. That's a strong endorsement. Now, let me ask some people do better with watching videos than others. When, when you are watching videos, do you find yourself able to focus for like an hour straight? Yeah, because I, I put my notes in chess bases up doing it. So I forced myself to, 
be active. So I'll watch the video. So I took the approach. Abitik actually wrote an article on his on on Chessmood and his in his blog um, about how grandmasters memorize opening variations. So yeah, one I've of read the things that. he good article. It's a very good article. Yeah. So one of the things he ta- talks about is how uh, Copian um, mentioned to him, like, don't just only pay attention during class. Like, don't take notes. And then after the class, take all the notes. So I kind of take this similar approach with watching. I'll watch like a set of videos, like if it's just a whole section. So sometimes the section is only, you know, five or six videos might be like 30 minutes, but sometimes it's, it is like a full hour. I'll just watch per section. And then at the end of each section, I would just go back and try to put everything I remembered with my notes. So if you look at my chess based files, like all my files are extensively detailed with words, like everything is words. So I know a lot of people, when I look at their files, they just have all the variations and it just says plus minus and they know how to navigate that. But for me, I need the words. So that way, that way when I'm reviewing my files, I'm able to understand, okay, like why is that the idea? And it helps me just memorize. Like that has helped me memorize a lot better. The other thing I do is I insert diagrams on Chessbase. There's the feature that you can click the insert diagram and on 16 now it shows as you're scrolling through. Uh, when I'm able to right. fold and unfold variations, I can use that. Okay. Um, and after, uh, so... An hour basically on openings, although you're primarily, as you mentioned, watching uh, videos. And then we've got about an hour left before you actually start your day. So what what's next, Vishnu? Um, the last hour is going to oh, it's going to our apartment at a gym. So I would go on the gym treadmill there, and I would watch either a Gotham chess video, a chess move classical attacking video or classical middle game or end game video um, or power play chess is one of my other favorite channels. So I'd watch something by Daniel King. Um, and yeah, that, that like in the morning I would just well, do a walk for like 30 to 45 minutes. So I'd watch a few videos during that time and then I'd come back and then um, it wasn't, it was like the last 10 or 15 minutes was just kind of planning the next day and like looking at my backlog of like, okay, what's left? When's my next tournament? And um, kind of planning also on certain days. Okay. Like when am I going to actually start specifically preparing for people um, and looking at what openings that they play so I can figure out what I need to study in my openings repertoire over the next coming weeks. Gotcha. It's, and and where does uh, I know you have a coach, um, and obviously you're playing a lot. Uh, I saw your your history on the USCF, which I will link to for anyone to see. Um, so where does game analysis come into this, Vishnu? And uh, and are you playing any blitz online, or like like uh, are you squeezing in chess later in the day too, or is it just kind of do your routine and then start your professional family life? Yeah, it's most of the morning is where I can study. Like playing is later during the day if um, if I had the time, depending on how intense the work day is. Um, but yeah, it's mostly in the mornings, I would say. And what about your lessons and game analysis? Uh, lessons and game analysis. So yeah, my lessons are in the evening. And uh, game analysis, I would do... So anytime I did Blitz, I started following, as much as I can, I started following Avatik's method of doing the nine games or the seven games and treating like every Blitz session as if it's a tournament. Um, so basically, he says play their five rounds, seven rounds, or nine rounds, treat it like it's a real tournament because that's how many rounds are in a tournament. And then once you're done, go through all the games. So... I've tried to uh, implement that as well with my training. And I've also tried to implement um, going through my own games whenever I play tournaments. I would adjust my morning schedule in those cases. So instead of doing tactics and studying the chess moon repertoire um, openings, I would go through my game 
see how much of the opening I actually knew as compared to what was in the openings course. And if it wasn't covered, then I have other sources um, from Jessable and from other books that I had that I would leverage to see, okay, if there were any gaps that weren't there, how can I fill those in? And if, even if that didn't, and if that didn't work, then I would go through chess base and leech as an opening explorer and then see, okay, that's the new line. And then I would continue with the game and see specifically a middle game and end games. Where did I mess up? And I do write down in my, in my files, like the notes as if I'm writing it to myself, what I was thinking. And uh, yeah, that that's the process. But um, with my coach, my, my, my coach, actually, I, whenever I just finished a tournament, I just sent it to him and we analyzed the games together. I, I go through that process actually after, after I have the lesson with him, maybe I should do it before, but I do that process after I go through the lesson with him. And when I go through the lesson with him, um, my coach actually never looks at the games when I said it to him, to, to him, he only looks at it like after, like during our lesson together for the first time, right. and that gives real thoughts. Okay. Um, well, I want to hear, Vishnu, you had mentioned that your schedule has changed a bit. You've taken your foot off the throttle a tiny bit since the Chicago Open. So we're going to take a break. And then I want to hear about your relaxed uh, schedule of only doing two hours a day or whatever it may be. Uh, we'll be right back. I've been due for an update from our friends at aimchess.com. Aimchess, of course, gathers games from the major chess playing sites and gives you actionable intel of what aspects of your game to work on, and it helps you work on them. Uh, I've been working on some new openings in my Blitz game. It turns out I'm doing pretty decently with those new openings. Of course, I've got to keep them a secret from you guys. Um, but I still have some other things to work on. Time management slightly better, but lots and lots of room to improve. Uh, I also need to work on advantage capitalization and resourcefulness. On the other hand, my end games are doing well and my openings are doing well overall. So if you're looking for that kind of insight as well as puzzles of tactics that you missed and chances to practice positions you didn't convert, then Try out aimchess.com. If you do so, please use the code perpetual30 at aimchess.com. The link is also in the show description. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. And we are back. So, Vishnu, you said, you know, you had this landmark success, won a decent chunk of change in Chicago, had a great performance rating, gained a bunch of rating. And I've noticed you've, you've, given, you've lost a little back, which, you know, obviously can happen. And also say that... You haven't been working quite as hard. Um, I know you've been dealing with moving on top of other things. So what's the, what's the n air quotes, not working hard version of Vishnu, the two hour a day chess schedule? Yeah. So I think it is now two hours, unfortunately. Um, I think now that I've moved and things are settled, I'll get back to normal, but <laughs> the lighter schedule has been uh, so far. So I've been sticking with the, um, sticking with the tactics and the puzzle rush. Like, uh, as I said earlier, I think doing puzzle rush every day at least just helps wake your brain up. That's how I treat it. And uh, doing chess tempo tactics to do a few hard tactics just to stay sharp. And um, then I just did some of the studying with watching the YouTube videos of okay. um, power play chess or something like that when I was on the treadmill, things like that. Gotcha. And do you have a, a goal in terms of how often you play tournament chess? Maybe once a week if I can do it. Oh, wow. That's a lot. If you can pull no, it off. Sorry. Once a month. Once a month. Oh, once a <laughs> month. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Once a week would be awesome, but I think my wife would kill well, me. Well, I mean, people who play in people who live in metropolis areas where there's a, you know, a club where you play one game per week and that way. It still comes out to 50 games a year, which you might get playing one tournament a month. It's just it's spaced out more. So I thought maybe that's what you were getting at. Um, uh, yeah. And, and no. I know. Th 
And I know that you did mention that chess has played a factor in your decision to to move to the Dallas area. So what sort of tournaments are you looking forward to down there? Um, well, next year, I'm going to start playing norm tournaments. So my goal is to at least get my feet up to about 2050 in the next year. So, I, I mean, I think strength-wise, I'm reasonably close with a 2100-something rating. I'm reasonably in that range. Yeah. So I'm just trying to push my PDA up from, like, 1820, what it is now, a couple hundred points. So that will be a little bit of work I have to do. Um, but, yeah, I want to play some norm tournaments. And I think they're, it, it's just Dallas is more central to the rest of the U.S. So I can go travel much more easily to do that. Um, but even within Dallas, I mean – there are a few tournaments like the FIDE Open and there are just long weekend tournaments here, which in Phoenix, which is where I was living before candidly, there were no long weekend tournaments, unfortunately. So um, I am very happy to be in a place where, yeah, I don't necessarily have to travel to play 90, 30 tournaments. Yeah, that, that should help, help a good amount. I do see that there's a, a good amount of tournaments down there. And as you say, uh, major major metropolis so easy to fly in and out um and you mentioned you have a bibliography in your book and in, in the interview i've referenced a couple times with Avtech, the write-up uh, you mentioned some books so where do chess books fit into your study regimen if like to the extent that they do vishnu um they do actually so i did give you yeah so i kind of gave you the average day but basically what it would do is if i wasn't doing if I wasn't going to the gym, the last hour where instead of watching videos on like power play chess or Gotham chess or just something to catch up on the highlights, um, that last hour would be reading books. So it was uh, the most recent one I read was Sam Shanklin's uh, Small Steps to Giant Improvement. Um, but yeah, there, there are a few books on my list right now. My coach recommended that I read Soviet Middle Game Technique by Peter Romanowski. Um, okay. I think that's been republished. How did, you like, uh, yes. how did you like Shanklin's book? I loved it. I think it's one of the best written books, actually, of the modern times. Um, I think one of the things about books are books tend to be extremely variation dense. A lot of them that I found, and they're very tough to read. Uh, but yeah. Shanklin did a really nice job of and especially when you see a 2700 who can articulate his thoughts so clearly, like that's very, very, very impressive. Yeah. He's, he's a great writer. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, communicator generally, I'm a fan of uh, his, his chessable courses um, as well. Yeah. Now, yeah, Vishnu, yeah. so you had this huge, you had this huge result um, in Chicago. And, and again, since then it's been, as far as I can tell, one good tournament, one bad tournament, one good tournament, one bad tournament, which is often how it goes. So, I'm curious, like how how you personally contextualize your results, because obviously for different people, some people are just playing for fun, but you sound so driven to improve. So do you do you find um, are you able to sort of take a long view with your results or do you get pretty upset if things don't go your way? How, how does that all shake out? I mean, of course, I get upset when it lose. I get extremely angry with myself, um, but yeah, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I I know that this is a mar- uh, not a sprint, it's a marathon. I know what I want, and I'm willing to sacrifice and suffer for it. And huh. that's the most important thing for me. Is one day time will come. And has anyone? So obviously, you've got these, you've got these lofty goals. You've got a lot of chess friends. Does anyone tell you like your goals are crazy? I mean, I have people who are friends that tell me that my calls are crazy, but I don't stay friends with people who tell me I can't do something. So you take it personally? Very much. It's interesting because to me, like, as we said earlier, like basically no one has done what you're trying to do as far as we know. Like, you know, maybe there's a case that we're not aware of or uh, I'm forgetting someone, but as far as I know, no one's done it. So to me, the idea that telling someone that you can't do what no one's done, like I would, I personally, like I wouldn't take that personally, but, but you think it's just a matter of people haven't put in the time that you are. 
I mean, and obviously I, you think you have the capability as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I know what I, I have, what it takes. Um, I mean, probably one person I, one person I know that I could see doing it is probably James Canty. I think Canty. Can yeah. You've mentioned him. Yeah. Shout out to James Canty. Yeah. I mean, he's making great progress and he puts in huge hours too. I, I, I know he's in a bit of a different boat from the point that he's doing just as a full-time thing where he's doing the streaming and the coaching and the playing and the studying. So I think it's a bit different um, for him than it is for me. But uh, I mean, I, I think if he keeps up the drive that he's had and the, and the results that he's had, I definitely believe that he can do it. Um, yeah. So look, I don't care if I'm the first to do this. Like that doesn't matter to right. me. It's just, I want to be someone who does it. So mid, uh, it's like, and what specifically project. when you say, when, when you say do it, you mean, do you mean become an IM, become an I am with such and such caveat, become a GM? Like, what do you mean by do it? Yeah. Become a GM. Like basically not by 25. Right. Right. Um, I, I mean, think yeah. you have to do it when you're young is the mentality. And I mean, that's obviously many, many people. It's true. And also cognitively, like at 30 or 31, where I'm at right now is like the years when you play your best chess. I think if you just think about all of those things, okay, yeah, that's, there's probably truth to that, obviously. But okay, that's just, it's just another challenge I'll have to overcome as I get older. And that's fine. Like, I've gone through harder things before, right? So if why should I be afraid about this? Gotcha. Yeah. And we should clarify someone like Ben Feingold, he got his GM title uh close to the age of 40. I know you quote Feingold a few times in your book. Um, yep. now obviously at uh, anyone who heard uh I think it was my most recent, but in one of my interviews with Ben, he was saying he was GM strength. It's just, there weren't that many norm tournaments and obviously his rating right. was like 2,500 USCF, 2,600 USCF for years. So yes, he got the title late, but he didn't make like a colossal leap. Um, shout out to Jesse right. cry who got, got the GM title in his thirties. And I know there are many other cases as well, but these are not people who, um, who went from, you know, 2,100 to 2,600 you know, past the age of 30. I know that John Shaw, uh, co-editor of Quality Chess, is one of the the biggest examples of someone who did become a GM from being around 2000 level. Uh, he did it in his early 20s, still still amazing. But the closest example, he's, he, and he's someone I've been meaning to interview for years, um, but he, he's mm -hmm. around the closest example I can think of someone who has achieved what, uh, what you have. Uh, or what you're endeavoring to achieve, and and if you didn't make it, um, how how would you feel, Vishnu? Now, at least I would have died trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to try. I have to. I mean, there's. And do you en do you enjoy the time you're studying chess? Like when you wake up at four in the morning, is it like, oh God, here we go again? Are you excited or somewhere in between? It sucks. Of course it sucks. I mean, there are days it's great, but the, yeah, I mean, it's uh, at this point, it's, I mean, some, a lot of days are not necessarily it's out of motivation. It's just out of discipline. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, you've got the wheels in motion. So, so you stick with it. So it sucks. Is it getting out of bed that sucks? Like which aspect sucks? Uh, getting out of bed is the part that's the most difficult because yeah, it's four, it's dark, it's cold. The bed is nice, but I found a few things helped me with that. One was I use a, a natural light alarm clock. So instead of the alarm blaring off, I set the alarm clock on the opposite side of the room and have it face me and it slowly gets brighter and brighter. So Usually I set that for 30 how's your minutes. Wife, is your wife in the room? <laughs> if you if you don't mind my asking, is your wife in, sleeping there too? Um, and also having that, um, being put on that schedule? Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes, uh, that does. So she's fine with it. It's not a big deal. Um, yeah, but uh, on occasion I actually do sleep in the other bedroom. Um, so that way like, okay. I don't have to always be, be up <laughs> uh, waking her up. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. And what do you have coming up in terms of tournaments, Vishnu? Um, I'm playing in the Forester Open. Uh, 
think tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, so that all have already happened. Uh, this will be out on November 29th. We're recording on November 22nd. Um, and does gotcha. your routine? You did mention you you did mention you try to do some do a bit of prep. Um, if you know someone, if you have a strong inkling, you might play someone. But other than that, when you have a tournament coming up, does your study routine change much? Um, yeah. So the the pre tournament routine is super openings review heavy uh and more tactics so i tend to watch less videos and just go through my chess based files at this point like the week or two before but this tournament in particular i have like been wildly underprepared simply because of my job and the move that i had this week so i just have not been able to do what i would like to do but that's okay it's just i know the other training i've done will hopefully come into play yeah i mean you know, I'm, I also try to play once a month. I, I probably don't pull it off. And I definitely in the past few months, I've been a little busy and had um, just stuff keeps coming up on the family front. But I feel like going to the tournament and giving it your attention and keeping that on a regular schedule, like that to me, at least for my performance is more important than the study routine. Um, I seem to lose more if I'm, if I'm studying, but t- take time off from tournaments um, I lose more than if I'm playing tournaments, but take time off from studying. Um, I, had, yeah. Have you taken a, enough breaks where you could speak to if that's been your experience as well? Honestly, I haven't. I can't say that. Yeah, because I've taken. It's always it's always the breaks from tournaments rather than the breaks from studying that's been happening more. Um, yeah. So I should try that. I don't know. I mean, well, actually, I should just do both. I, I should do both <laughs> and play both. But if I if I do have to end up taking a break, I should at least try playing more. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've always been biased about playing in rapid event tournaments. I've always not really enjoyed playing so fast games because I don't. I feel like you'll get to a critical position and you'll mess something up and kind of know if you had more time, might be able to figure it out find that's extremely frustrating, but I think there's also some benefit in playing those tournaments as well. It's kind of, that's one of the things I struggle with internally, that dialogue of like, should I go play this yeah, into I, the event or not? Yeah, I do too. And I'm much weaker in rapid and my rating pays the price because sometimes it's the only tournament I can get to. So, uh, just, right. just do, do what I can. Um, well, it'll be interesting. I mean, <laughs> I can't wait to uh, to see what happens. Now, you mentioned, of course, some days you don't feel like getting up, but do you have periods of burnout? Do you have periods where you're just like, man, I just can't, like, I just can't do this right now? Or is it more just like a daily struggle, but not like a a overall feeling of saturation of chess? I I would say, I'll put it like this. I would say. Um, I listen to David Goggins a lot. And one thing he says is like, I don't plan days off and I don't take off days. But he later on, he clarifies like, look, I don't plan to take off days, but sometimes life happens and you just have to. Right. And like, I don't plan on Sundays is like my cheat day or whatever. It's just like, okay, I'm going to do this. And for some reason, if it doesn't happen, that's fine. But that's, I try to do it every day. It's just part of the part of the day. Um, but usually Sunday is kind of the day I don't do it. Cause that's the day I try to spend with family and not do stuff. I, I support that Vishnu. I have to say, don't forget about your family and David Goggins. I just looked up. He's an ultra marathon runner. Yeah. And what what else do you what what lessons have you imparted from him? Um, I don't know. There's a lot drawn from him. I should say there's a lot. There's so many to choose from. He's he's someone I'd love to meet. I mean, he's ultra marathon runner, multiple multiple things, broke the world pull up record. I mean, insane individual. Wow. Um, but I would say I think one is. One, one thing he says is about the 40% rule. Like when you're tired, he's like, you're only 40% of the way done. Like when you feel like this sucks, I don't want to do this. He's like, yeah, that, that's you at 40%. You can keep going. That's like, not comforting. 
Oh yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely, yeah. That's he's fun. a very insane individual. If you listen to, uh, but I mean, I bet billions of people call him crazy, but he doesn't care, and I think that's uh, that's awesome. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, hearing your approach to chess, I can see why you would be drawn to that. For me, <laughs> for me, it's uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I just can't get there. I can't work that hard, unfortunately. On at least not on chess, not not on studying. Um, but it's admirable. I mean. You know, again, as long as it makes you happy, it's admirable. If you're, if you're miserable, then I, think, I don't think it's admirable. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing is it does make me happy because I think I think it comes down to for my, myself. It's um, I think it was Goggins who said it, but he says, "Look, there's someone out there that's outworking you and that wants to take your place." It's like, are you going to let yourself just be average for the rest of your life? And when you die, like, I don't want to be the person who dies and goes and sees God. And he has this list of things. And he's like, look, if you had done this and actually lived the life that you were supposed to, these are all the things that you would have done. Rather than me being myself five years ago and being that five, like 300 pound guy that sprayed for cockroaches and never did all the things I've done. And he's like, I know my list oh, that God what? asked me isn't done. But what if God says, why did you spend so much time studying chess fish? <laughs> you could have been doing other <laughs> That question very much well could happen. I would say, well, why did you give me the interest in the first place? Why did you create this right. game? This is your fault. <laughs> okay. Um, excellent. Well, uh, I, it'll be fascinating to see. Um, I, again, admire the, the work ethic. Um, I, I have to admit, I always you know, try to be honest. It, I, from my perspective, of course, you, what you've set out is an uphill climb. I have no doubt that you can make significant improvements, but even to get to IM to me strikes me as a challenge. So I hope you don't hate me for saying that, but, uh, but, uh, but the, the, the numbers don't lie in terms of what's been done before. So, but I want someone to do it and it's going to take uh, superhuman effort for someone to achieve this sort of thing. So, and I know that I know of some other people, shout out to your fellow chess mood member, Jay Garrison, who's putting in tons of hours. Yeah. Um, so, so sooner or later, I would love to see it happen, but, and, and Canty obviously is a great exemplar as well. Um, but until it's done, I'm one of those people who like, I need to see it, you know? I'm yeah, I, I completely understand. I, I understand, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I just, but it's not personal. No, it's not personal. It's, no, yeah, I just want this more, like, more, like, like I want to breathe. That's how bad I want this. Wow. Amazing. Well, it'll be fun to track. All right. Well, I want to talk, you mentioned earlier about um, how you're a words guy. You like to put things in words and ha having read your book that, that makes total sense to me because you have, it's filled with rules of thumb. So I want to dig into your book a little bit, maybe share a few of the most salient points, but uh, Vishnu, first, we're going to take one more break and hear from our sponsors. Perpetual Chess is proud to be brought to you in part by our presenting chess education sponsors, Chessable.com. Chessable, of course, uses space repetition to help you remember tactical patterns, opening sequences, whatever aspect of your game that you're working on. And they have a huge library of awesome courses. So whatever it is you want to work on, there's a good chance you can find something to help you on Chessable. Some of their latest includes a lifetime repertoires course on the London from Grandmaster Sahaj Grover and Sarnath Narayanan. Now, I don't want you to play the London personally, but if you're going to do it, then this is a good learning resource. Uh, Grandmaster Alex Cholovich has a new course on Bobby Fischer's Endgames. Of course, uh, the legend R.B. Ramesh's Improve Your Chess Calculation if you really want to challenge yourself. So there's always tons to check out from chessable.com. They have lots of free courses to check out as well. So just be sure to go to Chessable, get a streak going, and see what they have to offer. And we are back. And again, Vishnu's new book with Thinkers Publishing is called The Chess Bible, Most Instructive Tips, Axioms, One-Liners, and Mantras. Uh, the format, it's available on Forward Chess. Vishnu had sent me a copy a while ago of the mantras, but I actually picked up the book itself on Forward Chess, where now there's instructive positions to go with each mantra. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, there's there's 
so many, and I've noticed this as a as a chess instructor in particular, but um, as a student of the game as well, there's there's so many uh, little rules of thumb, um, and it's nice to have them all gathered. So, is that like what what was the inspiration for this book, Vishnu? Well, I mean, that's exactly just as you said. There's so many rules of thumb, and I think those rules of thumb help you a lot, especially when you're analyzing games, like. Okay, obviously, when you when you go through games, right, there are the tactical patterns that, that appear. But these are the patterns in terms of, um, I would say, more strategy than tactics, right? Like, just how you develop your pieces, how do you trade off and exchange certain pieces? Like, when would you give up a bishop or a knight? Because, you know, the position's somewhat close, right? The knight's going to be better. So... Things like that, um, I think that's how we as humans just kind of learn is we don't memorize moves like computer. We, we have to understand the ideas. And I haven't seen a book that tries to take all of the different ideas, maybe except Silman's uh, Reassess for Chess, but really synthesize all of them into just like one place. Um, and Silman's Reassess for Chess was a bit different because within each chapter, it wasn't necessarily how he had laid the book out. Like that wasn't his premise, but by accident he did it because I do remember at the end of each chapter, there were just kind of quick guidelines that went with that particular principle. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the whole purpose of this book is I, I intended it for it to be these kind of quick one-liners that, uh, you just have to remember the one-liners. And for myself, actually, this is something I read before my tournament games simply because um, it's a habit that stuck with me that my first coach uh, kind of made me do until I hit about 1,500 was back in the day, Bruce Panolfini had written a book called ABCs of Chess. And in that, there's a part called the 64 Commandments of Chess. And it's just a list of 64 one-liners. So before every tournament game, until I hit 1,500, I had to read that list. Like it was required by my coach and that I think helped me blunder less. And so I tried to create or find, well, I tried to find initially another book that had something like that for more advanced players and I couldn't find anything. So then I just started writing this list for myself as a list of things to not forget before I go play a game. Um, So at first it just turned out to be a list, but then over time, as time went on, I started to think, okay, you know what? Maybe I should just add a quick example. So I just like, don't forget how this actually applies to the game. And then as I started doing that, I thought, you know, maybe I should just make this a book. So uh, it didn't intend, like, I didn't set out intending to write a book. It was more a checklist for myself to blunder less. And okay. then it turned into that. Yeah, I wondered about that because obviously you're you're not uh, awash in time with <laughs> with the hours you're spending studying your family, your work. So this kind of folded into your your study time as you gathered the examples. I, I, so actually, I wrote the book before I wrote the book before I started getting back into chess. So writing the book is actually, I think, a big part of why I got interested back in studying again. Um, and when did you start studying again? Just to n- nail down the timeline. <laughs> seriously studying i'd probably say september of 21 so a little oh wow so this is all pretty recent yeah so i started writing the book in before 2021 yeah i wrote it i wrote it i think starting in april or may of 20 like right when the pandemic started Gotcha. And could you share for our listeners a few of the the axioms that or quotes that that you find yourself referring back to the most often? Um, one of them is don't fall for the automatic recapture. Like if they just take yeah, a piece, like the... you're. It's very very tempting. I mean, especially in Blitz a Bullet, right? You just don't even think you auto like auto capture. Um. It makes it really easy to miss in between moves. Um, yeah. And it, like, I think it's more, more than anything, like, that's a psychological thing. It's not even a test of skill. It's just, I think, psychologically, when you lose something, people want to get something back immediately. And so that's why when they take material of yours, you're like, I have to get it back. And 
you don't really slow down maybe for a second. If you do, you might find a better move. So uh, that's something that I'm quite guilty of. Uh, in fact, I remember the example I used was from a game from the National Open where I messed that up. <laughs> that would have like, what if I didn't do that? But doing that, I lost. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've. I think I think everyone has a game like that. Um, yeah. So do you feel like you've gotten better at it because of that experience? I think so. I think so. Nice. Um, other axioms that you can share. And there's 200 in the book, so I think it's okay to share a few. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I think another one was one move, queen moves are really hard to find. Like, I think a lot of times when you think of the queen, you think of the queen as such a big, strong, grandiose piece that must do sweeping movements across the board. And so one square, like a yeah, just like literally a one square, like one move over. Um, yeah, I think the, those are tough to find a lot of times because, as I said, you just think of the queen as so strong and powerful. Like she has to just go. Um, that's not necessarily true because when you just move it one square, it changes the rank or file or diagonal that you have influence on. Yeah, and I, I also was nodding my head in agreement with your advice about en passant. Uh, would you like to to share that? Uh, yeah, got, well, if Levy ever listens to this or Gotham Chess listens to this, <laughs> I don't think you'd approve of this part. But, uh, <laughs> like, you, you shouldn't necessarily fall for the allure of Ampassant. I think Ampassant does – is it is obviously a rule. And I think a lot of times it is true that when it's allowable, you should definitely consider doing it. But just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Um yeah, I, I think you have to be a little bit careful on that one and not rush it, just like the automatic recaptures. Yeah, I've noticed that with kids' games in particular, and for, if someone had a lot of time on their hands, I bet you could quantify it. I would love to see like someone do a study where they compare uh, person X's son upon over um, a large sample and then look at their son upon uh, loss when they play en passant, you know, and then do that over like a large sample. And I do think that data would confirm that people just, they, they can't resist. <laughs> they, yeah, they can't. that is probably true. Um, and uh, any others you'd like to share? Um, I think one last one would be if you, one of the things I struggle with is moving a piece away. So you say you have a piece like a bishop on G2. And you move your bishop to h3. Moving the bishop back from h3 back to g2 because something else changed in the position, I think that's really hard to appreciate a lot of times. Like you always think you always have to move pieces to new squares, but sometimes the position has changed. It's actually better to move that piece back to its original square that you were just on. Um, It's simply because there's a subtle change in the position. And I think as a become better as a player and become better as just as I've studied more and more, I start to notice those like small nuances when I'm going over games. Um, I think that's, that's something that's really important. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, backward moves in general, but yeah, especially if you're just, just returning to, to the exact move um, that you just made. Um, And do you worry that, like I've noticed with some rules of thumb, you can maybe find competing rules of thumb. I didn't like, I didn't notice specific examples in your book, but did you, do you have cases where you're in a position and you're thinking, you know, like on the one hand, I'm, you know, supposed to develop my pieces, but on the other, like don't make an automatic recapture or whatever the example might be. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's absolutely true. Like there's, there's situation, like for example, I guess one you could say is like, Training off a bishop for a knight in a somewhat open position, generally not a good idea, but then you might have a very specific reason of doing that because that knight happens to be their opponent's most active piece, right? And it's a good idea to trade off your opponent's most active piece for an inactive piece of yours. So I think in those situations, like, yeah, when you have, uh, and I know Levy talks about this in some of his videos, he calls it like superseding concepts, um, yeah, I think that's true. And I, I, I just think, I think, 
I think the important thing about this book and any like guidelines in general is like at the end of the day, they're in general. And I think that is probably the thing that separates someone who I, I, I think it was Hikaru who even said it, but he's like, that's a thing that separates like GMs from IMs. And like, I think even IMs from people who are lower than them. It's like a lot of times people like myself are kind of reliant on these kind of quick one-liners, like, Getting up yeah. to 2,000 people may not know this, but people at 2,000 know these. And then they kind of get reliant on them and they don't consider the specifics of the position. That's something that my coach tells me. It's like chess specific game. Like you can't just use these principles. Like you have to find the best move. And um, I think that's the thing that separates. That That's the separation that just happens kind of at this level. Yeah, that's like the... Beyond the million dollar skill. Yeah. Like John Watson in secrets of modern chess strategy, sort of as he traced the evolution of um, elite players notice that what separates, as you allude to the greats is uh, knowing when to break the air quotes rules. And now more than ever with everything digitized and with computer evaluations, I think um, chess is becoming more concrete um, and that makes it harder because like the, the more concrete it is, if there's just a correct answer in a given position, it's harder to rely on a rule of thumb. But on the other hand, humans are hardwired to want rules of thumb, to want shortcuts. You know, um, you, we need, we need a way to navigate the morass of, of life yeah. and of chess. So yeah, that's, that's the, the crucial skill is learning the balance of like, okay, well, if I, you know, if I just consider it one big math problem with no guidelines whatsoever, I'm never going to get anywhere. But on the other hand, if I, you know, if I'm only relying on moves of rules of thumb, like I'm, there's going to become a point where it's going to be, um, counterproductive. So yeah, that, that's what well, chess, uh, beautiful and difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, and you've got some cool examples in the book as well, like good positions that you found. Um, did you, did you have a favorite resource from um, all of the stuff that you pulled from? Um, one of my favorite books is called 45 Positional Methods and Techniques to Gain the Upper Hand in Chess. Super long title, but great book. Um, I think it's huh, by sounds very international. Soviet. I'm actually not familiar with that one. It's a red book with two bishops in red on it. It's by um, okay. international master Valery Bronznik. Oh yeah, I have who, seen that book. Okay, yeah, yeah. Who um, very graciously allowed me to use a lot of the examples from his book and uh, use a lot of the quotes from that book. Actually, a fair amount was from that book. Um, so, like, for example, one of them was using the pawns on F2, G3, and H4 to restrict a knight on G6. So, knights right. that are on G6 or B6 or corresponding, uh, they technically, quote, should not belong there because it can be restricted by the pawns in such a manner. And ever since I read that, I started actually noticing it in a lot of games. Um, I think that's a really, really good book for middle game foundations. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, the book vaguely rings a bell, but I agree with what you're saying. I've noticed that about Knights as well and noticed it in in your book. Um, okay. Well, Vishnu, this has been really fascinating conversation. Um, as I'm excited to see where your journey takes you. Um, before we let you go, if there's anyone who's, I mean, I'm sure there are people listening who would like to reach your level, who would like to, to make it to 2000, 2100 USCF and beyond. Um, what improvement advice do you generally give if people are asking you how to, how to, um, budget their own study time to say, go from 1500 to 2000, ideally, although that's a big jump. Um, I think at the 1500 to 2000 level, I would say one, uh, I think, yeah, there's actually a lot of value in reading books. I think books help put things in words and words make things clear. So I think, be just be reading more books. Um, and specifically I would read books on, uh, the end game, such as the hundred end games you must know. Um, I think that was, okay. a book that helped me a lot. And I would also say, um, studying middle game positions. So 
the two books I would recommend there were the 45 positional methods and techniques I was just talking about and um, chess training for post beginners by uh, Yaroslav Strukowski. Um, that, that's also a great book. Okay. You've got some, um, you're not recommending the same books that get recommended every week, which is uh, here on the pod, which is always nice. Um, all right. Well, Vishnu, really excited to see how your journey unfolds over the coming years. Um, commend you uh, for the hard work, although encourage you to look out for your mental health. Don't push too hard. Um, a- anything to add before we say our goodbyes? No, uh, thank you again for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, next time, hopefully there'll be a couple letters in front of my name. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we'll we'll do. I promise you, we'll do a catch up if you can if you can get those I am letters. Uh, it'll be high time for an interview, if not before then. And if anyone wants to okay. sort of follow your journey, is there a, a way to do that or to reach out to you? Um. Yeah. So yeah, you can reach me on Facebook or um my email on Gmail. Uh, I don't know. Should I get that out here? I'll just I'll link if you don't mind. I'll just link to it. You don't have to say. It. Okay. Um, sure. Um, okay. So yeah, I'll do that. And uh, new book will be out in three years, which is. Are you, are you already working on it, or? Yes, um, it's called Thousand Days to GM." I know that's the title. It's probably not going to actually happen, but um, I've been keeping a like I showed you. Someone mentioned my log of how I track my day and my time. Um, so it's essentially a log of my daily entries of how I study, things I do for work. Yeah, that's basically my routine for the day. Uh, okay. I just try to make like 10 minutes every day to make an entry and it'll be a compilation over three years and we'll see where that takes me. Cool. We'll look forward to it. And uh, yeah, good luck with uh, with the journey um, and in the tournament this weekend. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, but most of all, thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the next Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.